Oh. <laughs> it's funny, they crisscrossed. All right. Well, it's good to see everybody this morning. Have Lyle back with us. I'm so glad you brought Molly back because Lyle's more on time. So. <laughs> I know. Yeah, but he's been more on time since you guys have been married. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I thought we might lose Lyle. You know, he was telling me about all this wonderful barbecue he was eating while he was in Texas, and I was like, shh, stop it. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. No, yeah, it's good. It was good for them to get out and have a good time and spend some time with family and, and uh, kind of nice to get reacquainted with one another. It's a joy as we are on this road leading to Resurrection Sunday. It's it's wonderful to be in this um, in this section in Romans chapter three. We start a brand new section: um, justification by faith or um, being declared right. How do we be declared right? That's being justified, and this whole idea of justification by faith. And what's the source of our righteousness? You know, can we be right? All of these things. Uh, for the next couple chapters, we're going to be diving into one of the most amazing things is all of the false systems that we see in society, religion, philosophy, all of them, you must do something, you must be something, you must accept something, um, you know, multiple different things. Um, there's all these different things that you constantly have to change and add into your life to be saved or to be good. There is something you must do to be right. And there's all these things that have to do with right. And it's like this simple math equation that we see most of the philosophies in our world is it's faith plus works equals right. Or Faith plus love, if you apply loving to something you believe in, then it'll be right. And the love is defined by the other person, whoever, you know, whatever they want you to love. Right? It's not something you love, it's what other people love, and you have to love it just the same. There's all of these kinds of things floating out there where it's faith plus this equals salvation or rightness or being righteous or being right. And that's kind of all these different things in a nutshell for thousands of years, just like Satan did in the garden says, well, you know, did God really say this? And then he added, you know, he gets Adam and Eve questioning and Eve adds things to scripture rather than sticking to what God says. So this morning, as we look at our salvation we look at what does it mean to be declared right. We're going to look at all of these things over the next few months about where our source of righteousness comes from. How are we declared right? Why are we declared right? What is justification? And so that's the emphasis that we're going to look at. I started, this was going to be a single message. I got to 12 points, so I, I cut it in half and decided part one is this week. So we're only getting to verse 23, but we'll read 21 through 26. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that the reading of your word this morning would honor and glorify you, 
that wouldn't be about our thoughts, but Lord, or the things that we think about, that we wouldn't look into your word to, with what we think, but Lord, that we would desire to know what you think. So help us to understand that through the power of your spirit, that you would make known clearly your word. So Lord, we thank you for this precious gift of being able to clearly see you and what you desire and what you do through your work. And so Lord, make that known to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21, it says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been, been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith for a demonstration of his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is quite a theological section that really pulls us in a funnel that drives us into the fact that it's all about faith alone and Christ alone. There's nothing extra in our life when it comes to our salvation or the righteousness of God. God's righteousness is applied to our life not because of something that we have to do. It's all based on what he has done. You know being alone, right? What alone is alike or solo, right? You have how many people have sung in a choir or maybe you are going to sing in a choir you know, coming on Resurrection Sunday. You can say, yeah, I've, I've done that. I remember starting to sing in a choir in seventh grade. And we were singing, and we were going through choir. And, and then it came to the point at in choir, it was a required class in junior high, that we actually had to sing a solo. You can imagine what that's like. Many of you may have been there. The dread. Well, I didn't have any dread. I didn't really care. And I got up there, and I'm singing in the choir, and I'm like, everything's great. I can hear everybody around me, but then I had to go sing a solo. I belted out this solo, and, and you could just see the look on everybody's face that something was dreadfully wrong. <laughs> it was kind of like the time when our church... Uh, former in our former church, we had uh, three pianists all leave the church at one time. Um, they all were, uh, one went uh, to, uh, moved, they all moved to other states and we lost all of them. And so we were without a pianist. And so uh, Anissa couldn't even sing next to me, which we, most of the husbands of the pianists were the song leaders. And they led 
you know, they would lead singing and they'd lead worship. And they all vanished. We didn't have anybody to play the piano. Uh, we didn't even have anybody that played the guitar. Uh, we had me and we had Anissa. You can imagine the dread that was going through my mind. Usually, Anissa kept me in line when we would sing. But she was at the piano playing some chords, trying to lead, you know, trying to keep the music going. And I was up there just praying that I was in the right key. My mother-in-law was visiting, and I could tell right off the bat there was something dreadfully wrong. <laughs> when you're alone, when things are solo, you realize that you may thought you were good, but you realize you are not good. This section of verses, verses 21 through 26, many have made a big deal about this. I know of one theologian that didn't even preach the book of Romans until he preached this section. He preached for almost a year out of these verses before he went to any other verses in Romans. It was that important, he believed. They call it, many call it the magnus opus of the Bible, the Everest, the pinnacle of all thought when it comes to the Lord and us. It's the greatest answer to the greatest question. How can we be right with God? And he gives us the answer. How can we get to heaven? Martin Lloyd-Jones said, these are the greatest verses in the entire Bible on the gospel of Christ. Martin Luther, which this whole section, you know, he was the monk of the monks, right? He was the one that did everything. He slept outside in, uh, in the dead of winter to, to deprive himself of any comfort so he would be closer to God. And he almost became closer to God. Many times almost dying by being trying to be the monk of monks. Just like Paul was the Hebrew of the Hebrews. And as he read through Romans and he comes to this point, he called it, he said this that he called it this. He said, this doctrine of justification is this. He said, appointed for the rise and fall of the church. By his assertion, Luther meant that every true church teaches and preaches this doctrine. If they don't, then they're really not church. J.R. Packer, that we've been studying in the book Knowing God, and he said this, he said, the doctrine of justification is the mighty atlas that upholds the entire gospel. The gospel of truth is held by the singular doctrine. Thomas Watson, the Puritan preacher, he said, justification is the very hinge and pillar of Christianity. And an error about justification is dangerous like a defect in a foundation, right? A, a defect in a foundation means it will move, crack, crumble, and fall. It's, I, I know, from, from my days of working construction and, and building foundations, it was, this was my indoctrination to building foundation. My dad showed up with an excavator uh, backhoe, and he said, and he gave me a, a plan, and he said, have at it. I failed 
The inspector came and looked at me and says, I don't know what this is, but it's not a foundation. And he sat there and he says, I'll be back in a week. So I redid everything and he came back and he said, no, no, no. <laughs> he says, do you know what you're doing? I said, nope. And he looked at me and he said, you have to be precise in a foundation. It has to be perfect because otherwise the building's going to fall, move, crack. Without the right foundation, the building will crumble. Everything on it won't matter. It doesn't matter how good it is, the foundation is worthless. So he taught me, and he indoctrinated me on the justification of foundations. <laughs> and I learned, and I never failed a foundation inspection after that. It was quite the summer. But what is justification? You know, it's interesting, as we look at what is justification is as we've looked at halfway through Romans chapter 1, all the way halfway through Romans chapter 3, we saw that righteousness, that God's judgment is based on his righteousness. And as we moved into this doctrine of justification, we find out that justification is, guess what, based on his righteousness. So what is justification? Justification is a legal term. It's a legal application indicating the process of declaring a person righteous. It's important to note that when somebody is declared to be righteous, it doesn't mean that they were actually righteous. It simply means that a person is declared to be right as far as the law is concerned, that there has been a payment applied, right? That a fine has been applied, has been redeemed, and then now you're seen as right and you can move on. I love that when I went to, to the traffic uh, you know, judge when I was declared in error because there was a sign up, but they had removed the bear and they forgot to remove the sign. And so everybody was turning and I turned and I said I was in the right and the traffic cop said I was in the wrong and I went before the judge and he declared me right. I was like, yes, so I didn't pay the fine, right? I didn't have to pay it, but it wasn't because I did something right. It was because the judge said I was right. J.J. Montgomery Boyce helps us to understand this concept of justification and being declared right, and he says this in his commentary. He says, let me put it this way. Justification is the opposite of condemnation or the judgment that we've been talking about in the beginning of Romans. When a defendant is found to stand in a wrong relationship to the law, he or she is condemned or pronounced guilty by the judge. Condemnation of that defendant does not make the person guilty. He or she is only declared to be so. In the same way, in justification, the person is declared to be just or to be in a right relationship to the law, but not made righteous. A person could be declared righteous on the basis of his or her own righteousness, such, or I'm sorry, a person could be declared righteous based on his own righteousness, such as one would be pronounced innocent in a court of law. But in salvation, since we have no righteousness of our own and are not innocent, we are declared righteous on the grounds of Christ's payment for our sin. Righteousness, right? Righteousness is key here. It's God's righteousness. 
we don't have inherent righteousness. We have the flesh, which is inherently sinful. We're given that by our mom and dad, Adam and Eve. It it comes, uh, we've been born into sin. Nobody has to teach a child to be sinful. It's just natural and a part of flesh in this sense. So the idea here is, is righteousness you're taking notes, I didn't put it up there, but righteousness is the idea of conformity to a right and a measured standard. A right measured standard. It's a standard which everything in our life is measured by, and it's measured by God. The problem is, is everybody in society wants to measure and change the standard so they can feel better about their life. They do something and they feel guilty or shame and they don't like it. And so they remeasure life to try to fit their thing so they can feel better. But they're still wrong because God is the standard by which we measure everything. And this is key in this section of justification by faith. Faith alone, through Christ alone. And that is is that we understand justification. It's God that declares us right, not on the basis of our works, but on the basis of his righteousness. And that righteousness is his standard alone. It's used often in this section. We'll see it more than six times. So it is valuable to understand. The first point that we're going to measure and look at is justification is separate act from the law. We look at verse 21, right? It says, but now, which is funny in the Greek, it's like a stutter. It's but now, but. It's a, it's a, there's, in the Greek, there's two buts. It's like there's this great separation from what we saw about our condemnation because none is righteous, declared in verse 23. Also what it says in verse 19, right? That because of the law, we will all be silent, been found guilty. None of us are innocent. And he says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifest. Justification or being declared right is separate from the law. It's not because of the law. Separation means that it it has nothing to do with it. It is pushed aside. That Greek preposition, apart from, literally means to be separated or to be without to not even be in. It's not an ingredient in our justification. If you add the ingredients, it changes it. Right? There is no law in the ingredients in our salvation. Paul's first point is simply this. God's righteousness that saves the sinner has nothing to do with keeping the law. It's without the law. It's apart from the law. It's separate from the law. Many people are totally lost And don't have a relationship with the Lord because of this very fact. Because they don't realize that God's righteousness, they don't realize it's God's righteousness that will save them. And it's not found by them trying to do good things. It's totally separate from that. It's like what it says in Galatians 2. Paul's referring to it. By the way, this whole idea of justification by faith and faith alone and Christ alone, it's just yanked apart in a really good commentary by Paul in Galatians and all throughout the the book of Galatians. You should read it in one setting. It's very very eye-opening. 
In verse 16 of Galatians chapter 2, it says, Yet we know that a person is not, you get the idea here, not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So we, so we believe in Christ. It's about being in Christ. In order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one is justified. That's what Paul is saying here. This is important because this is where everyone around us is getting confused and messed up because they think they have to do something in order to be right. But it's the other way around. It's, it's God's righteousness. So it's our, it's our faith in him that releases that righteousness, which in turn, that righteousness empowers us to do good things because it's God's good Work. It's not our good work. But yet we often get it, you know, mixed up. You know, it's interesting. You notice the word manifest or made clear. It's made visible. Manifest simply means to made visible. The righteousness, God's righteousness is manifest or it becomes visible not by the law, but has been made manifest through the law and the prophets through the Bible, and even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you see that the, the manifestation of God's righteousness, we can't see it by following the law. If you're trying to do a bunch of good things to be right with God, you're not going to see God. In fact, the idea here is, is that the law only manifests our sin. It brings us under condemnation. God's righteousness isn't visible through the law, which leads us to the second point, and that is justification is clear or made clear based on the evidence of the Old Testament. It was clear all through the Old Testament. Paul is saying, look, this is not something new. This is not something you didn't know. This has is, this is clearly been evident from, from eternity past to now, through eternity future. He says, and it has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The laws, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the prophets are all uh, the, the, those that spoke the word of God to Israel to declare what was right, what was wrong, what they were supposed to do. And so we see all of these things. I mean, it's even manifested in the, we see in Proverbs, and we see all this idea of how God's righteousness is manifested to us. What Paul is specifically saying here is that God's law clearly made it known that the fact of righteousness of God can, ever, can never come through keeping the law. In fact, verse 22 says that the law and the prophets even, uh, even revealed God's righteousness could only come by faith in Jesus Christ. So let's go back to Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, Verse 21, back in Eden, you know, Adam and Eve sinned against God, right? They hid, right? Sin always hides us. And they tried to do good works. They tried to cover themselves to cover their nakedness, their sin, and the fact that they realized that they were sinners. So they did everything to cover, and it was a bad, you know, have you ever tried to sew leaves together? Now, fig leaves are huge. Uh, but they rip. 
they don't, they don't stay together very well. In fact, the more dry they get, the more brittle they get. It was a poor attempt to cover themselves. But here's the thing. God tracked them down. And by his grace, he shed the blood of an animal and he clothed them. Right from the very beginning, it was, by, it was God's righteousness. It was God's work that justified them. It wasn't by their work. It w- they were not righteous and they didn't work to become righteous. It was through God's grace and mercy. You fast forward to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Genesis, we get the covenant or the promise that God made to Abraham or Abram in chapter 13 all the way to chapter 15. And we see that God consummated it by putting Abraham to sleep. And, and, and God walked through and made the covenant saying, this is based on my work. I will uphold it by my righteousness. And, he, and if you look at Abraham, and he says in verse 6, he says, Abraham believed the Lord in the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness, counted him or delivered by God to Abraham. If you go back to the, to the law, to the Leviticus, you know, a lot of you struggle when you get to your Bible reading, you get to Leviticus, but you count all the times that they had to make a blood sacrifice, which is interesting. They had the law, and the law showed them sinful. And guess what? They couldn't do anything to declare themselves right. They had to have a blood of an animal to declare, so that God would look at the blood of the animal and God would declare them right. In fact, if you read through the book of Leviticus, you'll see this common theme. That every time in the Old Testament, when a Jew and an Israelite shed the blood of an animal, he was saying this, I am not equal to you, God. I do not have your righteousness. Therefore, it was clear. Habakkuk, going to another prophet, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, in the Jewish prophet was declaring to Israel, he says, the just, those that are right in God's eyes, shall live by faith. David himself declared, it's not sacrifices that you desire, but a contrite, a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you desire. Faith and trust in him, right? From your innermost being. The law of God can restrain evil, right? God's law is good. It helps restrain evil, but it reveals sin. But it can never save a sinner. It can do those two things. Right? It can restrain evil and it can reveal sin, but it doesn't save. Paul is continuing this argument when he gets into verse 22, and that is justification is provided by God. Sometimes we overlook this statement in verse 22, and it says, even the righteousness of God, and then it, through faith in Christ Jesus. So it's through faith in Christ Jesus, but it's the righteousness of God, even And he's declaring that this is God's righteousness. Justification is provided by God. I've given you a lot of proof text that shows that. I'm not trying to run to all those verses, otherwise we'll never get out of here. As as we have seen clearly, the term justification maybe is best understood as a judicial act of God. It's actually a forensic 
It's a forensic look and deep dive into our life and seeing what's been applied to our life. If the law is applied, we are guilty. If the blood of Christ is applied, then we are declared right by God forensically. Justification is that legal moment God declares you right. This is not a legal fiction. This is a legal reality. Justification is very serious to God because his righteousness is very serious. Now, the emphasis here is that in order to be righteous in God's estimation, is it is God who must calculate this and accomplish this. Many times that term righteousness was used in the scales. If you go to my office, I have an Egyptian uh, hieroglyph and I have a painting in my office from Egypt that I got from a, a painter there on papyrus and it has gold leaf, has all this you know, really beautiful artwork and you see the scales that are balancing your life. And they would look at it and they'd say if, if and they'd put the, the, the uh, God on one side and they had this, this God that they would put there and, and they would measure your life and they'd put your heart on the other scale and, and you, you would be found whether you were good, had enough good, or if you were found wanting or lacking and then you would go to eternal hell. They have, everyone in society had this idea of righteousness. They also had this idea that they knew that they weren't righteous. The term righteous is this idea that God is on one side declaring that this is right, I am right, I am holy, I am perfect, and we are on the other side realizing we can't measure up. We're not going to be in good measure. When you would go buy grain in Israel and and in the Middle East, back in old days, they'd have those scales out there, and they had a standard by which everything was measured so you knew what to pay. And now if you were a, you know, a cheat, you would adjust that so then that way you, know, you could put more on there, and you know, they'd you know, put their thumb on the scale. Oh, you owe more, right? Or they made it a little heavier than it was supposed to be. Right? They changed the standard to benefit them. Just like we see today with a lot of people's lives, changing standards to benefit them. But we are justified by God's righteousness. So we need God's righteousness to even out the scale. There is no one that is good or that is right. Verse 23. Romans 10.3 says this, which this says a lot about today. It says, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And that's really the issue. Uh, the preacher, Steve Lawson, he said this. He says, God is the source and giver of this righteousness. The righteousness that God requires is the righteousness he gives. He is the source of righteousness. He, the righteousness he demands the righteousness that is imputed to us does not come from us, but from outside of ourselves. It comes from outside of the church. It comes from outside of this world. It is the righteousness that comes from God himself, from the very throne of God. That's why it's important when he says this, that justification is received by faith. 
says, even the righteousness of God, of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe, for there is no distinction. It is received by faith in Christ. What is faith? Faith is basically the same as this, the trust or belief and the conviction of the truth of a standard. It's saying that this standard is true, right, and it, it's believe, it should be believed on. And so when we put the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's saying that Jesus is the standard. He is the righteous standard in which that I'm going to put my whole life in his hands. He is the standard for our justification. It's amazing that this phrase, the prepositional phrase, through faith, is found 16 times. That it's through faith in Christ. It's through him. We see it in, in our text here in verse 22. We see it in verse 25 that we'll talk about next week. We see it in verse 30. We see it in verse 31. It's see it in Galatians 2, Galatians 3, Galatians 3 again. Ephesians 2, right? 8. For by grace are we saved through faith. We see it in just over and over. It's through faith. It's by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, by the way, is only good as the object of our faith, right? The object here being in Christ Jesus. If, if we say we have faith in a piece of paper to float down the river on, that's not good faith, right? You're going to be dragging, right? You, wanna, you want a good, solid, sturdy kayak or a bunch of really good inner tubes, Right? You want the, the thickest inner tube you can. I, I went down the river on one of those you know, blow-up inner tubes, you know, and as soon as I hit a rock, it was gone. I was swimming down the river the rest of the way. Right? You want something that's reliable. Nothing in this world is reliable to trust in but the Lord Jesus Christ. The faith is only as good as the object. That's why he says... It's through faith in Christ. Faith alone in Christ alone. By the way, it's, it's not the faith that saves, it's the object that saves. You realize, you know, it's, it's like the, it's like an, how if you were out there drowning, man overboard, and you're drowning in the world that we live in is just crashing around you, and the sailor goes, oh, I gotcha, just grab this, and they throw an anchor out there. Well, the troubles of life will soon be over, <laughs> right? Who are you going to put your faith in? It's, it's like the guy that throws, you're trusting he's going to throw you the right thing. Hopefully it's, it's a float, right? Have you ever seen the, the shows where they throw the float out and they forgot to tie it off? Yeah. I remember fishing one time and one of my deacons called, and I happened to, I don't know why, I answered the phone while I was fishing. As soon as I answered the phone, guess what happened? A fish was on the line. And I'm like talking to him, like, and he was a fisherman, so he understood. I'll call you right back. Hung up, brought it in. It was, it was five pounds and so many ounces. And I was like, I was so, I was like, it was our first fish of the day. My daughter was with me. I was so excited. I called him back. I'm like, I, I hooked the fish on the stringer. I threw it overboard. And I saw it sink, and, I, and I'm watching it sink, and it keeps sinking. And I'm like, 
and he had that sinking feeling. I'm like, uh-oh. I didn't tie the stringer to the boat. As I'm talking to him, I'm like, I gotta call you back. I just lost my fish. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I could see it sitting. We we're fishing in about 12 feet of water. I could see it sitting there on the bottom. It's five and a half pounds. You don't leave a five and a half pound fish sitting there. I'm like, I'm like, honey, you you have a swimsuit on. Go down and get it. <laughs> She's like, no. <laughs> she made me jump in and get it. And I'm like, I got it. I got it. I brought it up. I have a picture of it. I'm all soaking wet and then take a picture of my fish. Right? What you're tethered to is important. Not just as somebody, that's, you know, it's, somebody could throw something good out to you and that's great. Doesn't mean you're saved. We need to be tethered to the right object and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ is the tether that we need. The word for there, which begins in verse 23, explains why the righteousness of God must come through faith. Because all, for all, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is the reason why we need faith in Christ. Right? The verb fall short means there's lack. We lack. We're inferior. We can't jump the Grand Canyon of sin. It's not going to happen. We can't reach righteousness. We have a problem. Right? It's like a warning light going off. Danger, 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 danger. Pull up, pull up. We can't. We fall short. By the way, the noun glory here comes from the word that means opinion or expectation. It means we fall short of God's expectations. Here's Paul's point on justification received by faith. God's righteousness must come by faith in Jesus Christ and not by works because every human has sinned and has continually fallen short and is inferior to all of God's expectations. In Romans 5, Paul later says on this idea of justification, he says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. There again, tethered to the right object, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? For by grace have you been saved through faith, right? And it's not of yourselves, it is a gift of God as a result and not a result of works, lest any man should boast. It's in faith alone. We have to turn away from everything else and be found in Christ alone. That's why it says justification is delivered or applied to all who believe. It's, it's freely applied, given to. It's the extent of our... The, it's like he's saying it's, it's to all who believe. People like to emphasize the all there, but the emphasis, is, the emphasis there is believe. The last phrase, for all those who believe, underscores the universal offer. God says all there, but the, it's all the qualifier, the crucial qualification of, of this whole statement of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is those who believe. 
is that the promise only is applied to those who believe. The provision of salvation and the righteousness that is being granted is for all who believe. Emphasis, believe. The word belief in the Bible is synonymous with faith, which includes an adherence to, a commitment to, a faith in, a reliance on, a trust in, the one, the object of truth. The object who is right. We need his truth. We need his righteousness. This act doesn't involve the consent, or this act does involve the consent of one's mind, but also results in an act of the heart and the will of the subject who exercise his faith. Preaching in the synagogue in Antioch in Acts chapter 13. Paul declares, it says, by him, by Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from by the law. We are made free by Christ when we believe. In this letter to the church in Galatia, uh, Paul, and and we already read in Galatians 2.16, Paul said, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ, having a belief and trust for your life in Christ, putting your, all your life in his work, in his act. Jesus said himself in John 6, 37, and whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. This is the wonderful point in Romans three twenty two. here. All who believe will be saved because in God's sight there is no distinction. It's like no one is better than anyone else. There's no distinction. It's not you're better, I'm better, or if I do these good things and I'm better than you. There's no distinction. Everyone has to put their faith in the object, the right object, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as everyone is equally all apart from Christ because of sin, and they reject God because of their sin, everyone who is in Christ is equally right and accepted by him. And that's the, where the world is struggling. They, wanna, they want everybody, they want to define what acceptance is. And so they have thousands of ways to be accepted, and you have to do that. But it's in Christ. This is, this is an amazing concept that we need Christ, the glorious Christ. The standard is Christ. Without Christ, we have nothing. We have no salvation. We have no justification. We can't, decla- be de- we can't declare ourselves right. God forensically looks at our life, and based upon the object that we put our trust and faith in, he declares us right. If it's in ourself, we are declared sinful and wrong. If it's in Christ, we are found right. Not because we are right, but because Christ is right. Next week, we'll see that great transference of righteousness. His righteousness applied to our life. And when we, he took our sin. I love... I have many books in my office about many different things, and I have like one whole shelf devoted to Abraham Lincoln. I just, I like Abraham Lincoln. 
I think maybe because I stayed up till like two or three in the morning doing a report on Abraham Lincoln when I was a kid. So I just started, you know, I, I've, I fought all the way. But the story is told about Abraham Lincoln who was walking into town one day and he was overtaken by a man in a wagon going in the same direction. Lincoln stopped and the witty self that Lincoln is and was known to be, he asked the man this. He says, will you have the goodness to take my overcoat to town with me? Well, with pleasure, replied the stranger. But how will you get it again? The stranger rightly implied, you know, how are you going to get your coat back? Oh, very easily, said Lincoln. I intend to remain in the coat. (laughs) Putting Mr. Lincoln's humor aside, this idea of a ride roughly parallels what happens when we trust or put our faith in Christ as Savior. We put on Christ and are clothed in his righteousness. We don't have any righteousness. But his righteousness clothes us because we are in him. We are assured of reaching our destination with Christ, our salvation and eternal life with him. But apart from Christ, we are left, as it were, standing on the side of the road with no amount of good works or efforts or obedience or anything to save us and get us to the Lord. What do you have on in your life? What are you putting your faith in? I trust that you realize that nothing can satisfy God's righteous commands. Nothing can be, make you declared right apart from Christ. Do you realize that? All of our good deeds are as filthy rags in God's sight. So where do the good works come from that God prepared for us? It comes from his righteousness. So the question is, are your, anything that you do good, is it your good? Or is it simply God's righteousness living through you? Have you been declared right in God's eyes? He's the judge standing there with the gavel and asking that very simple question. Are you good? The answer is no. But where's your faith? But my faith and my trust is not in my sinfulness. My faith and trust is in Christ. It's found in him. I am clothed with Christ. And that's the question you need to ask yourself when you stand before God and he asks, will you be found right If you're trying to be right in your own eyes, the answer is no, you won't be found right. But I pray and I desire that you would put your faith and trust in Christ. The rest of scripture says that we should continue to walk in Christ. We need to walk worthy of the calling in which we've been called according to God's righteousness. That's our sanctification. We've been declared right. 
We need to continue to be found in Christ. Just like we talked about in Sunday school, Paul made it his aim. He agonized to be found in Christ. As he walked and ran through life, he didn't want to be found in himself and anything good of himself. He wanted to be found in Christ. So he'd be like Lincoln and let God's righteousness that he clothes you with carry you to your relationship with him? Or are you going to still struggle following along the, the way, the, the side of the road of life? Which is it? I pray that you'll be found in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the justification by faith. It's really good news. It's great news because the more that I look and I peer into my life, I realize I, am, I have nothing of benefit to offer you. I am not good. Everything I touch turns to sand. It's not solid. But Lord, it is wonderful to know that I can be weighed by your righteousness. Lord, it's, it's wonderful to know that I can be declared right, not based on my works, but based solely on your good works. The work that Christ did when he died on the cross for our sins. When he rose again and conquered death for us. Paying for our unrighteousness. That all your wrath is being poured out against all unrighteousness. But Lord, we have, we have an object of salvation. We have Christ. We have his work that in our trust in you can be applied to our life, that you apply to our life by faith. Lord, I pray that that would be the driving force of our life, the good news that helps us to, be, to find to find safety and peace and joy in this tumultuous world in which we live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.